Hello everyone and we are back with another episode of Mission Baby. Yes we are but before we begin we just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone for getting in touch since the launch. Simone and I have been so touched not to say very emotional, with everyone sharing their stories of what treatment they're doing or the struggles of conceiving. Some incredible and deeply personal stories out there. So thank you. It really has been wonderful. And we would love, love, love you to keep going and to involve you all in each and every episode. We want to answer any questions that you have or that you've always wanted to ask. Please do get in touch either on Instagram at the Mission Baby Podcast or drop us an email, themissionbabypodcast at gmail.com. Send in your questions and we will get our experts to answer them for you. When I got married, I told my husband, it may take us a year or two. It didn't occur to me that it could even take as long as it did. Fertility rates had fallen dramatically. Many countries are now on the verge of a baby bust. Infertility is extremely common. There are over 7 million people in the country who are experiencing infertility. These are doctors. We believe what doctors tell us. Infertility is considered a disease, and many of these couples don't know what to do or where to turn. This is a doctor that holds my happiness in his hands. The Mission Baby Podcast. We are super, super excited to introduce our next guest, Simone. Take it away. (laughs) I've had the pleasure of working very closely with this lovely doctor. She is one of the leading female fertility doctors in the UK. And I stress female. Very rare indeed. So welcome, Dr. Malini Upal. Hello, Danny, and hello, Simone. Hi there. It's lovely to be here with two wonderful girls. So great to have you with us today. So, Dr. Upal, can you explain to us how and why, as a doctor, you ended up in the world of fertility? A very good question and a very difficult one to answer. So I have done my obstetrics and gynecology, which introduced me to the world of fertility to begin with. You know, when you start reading about female fertility, I did see some of my colleagues struggling to get pregnant when they did want it. That was the time that I branched out and I thought, this is where I can do something for the coming generations, people like me or people like my colleagues who want to do something more than start their family very early in their lives. So obviously you had a passion for it as soon as you started learning about it. Tell us a little bit more about where your passions lie right now, because this is a huge field. And I know that you've got a particular interest in egg freezing. Want to make everyone aware about egg freezing. Again, coming back to the point that, you know, we might not want to do things in a younger age and want to delay our fertility and for all the women to have the choice. Egg freezing is a wonderful, wonderful progress, invention of this era. And I want all the ladies out there, all the young females out there to understand that there is no rush and they have got the choice of this egg freezing. That makes it very, very special to me, very close to my heart, because I think all of us deserve a choice. Okay, let's play devil's advocate. Okay, let's think what could be the barriers to people doing it. I mean, we're saying it's such a great idea, Mm. but what are the negatives to egg freezing? There are no negatives of doing egg freeze. Yes, there is no perfect insurance. So there is no, the biggest negative is there is no 100% guarantee in anything in medicine. And so is the case with egg freezing as well. So you can freeze your eggs and you might think that you're totally insured. And any time in your life, whenever you want to unfreeze them or thaw them or use them, you will 100% have a child. That's not the case. So that's the biggest limitation that we cannot say, 
it's 100% proof method of uh, fertility preservation or delaying starting your family. However, it is still a very, very good option. It also depends on at what age you freeze your eggs. Mm. So what would you recommend? What age would you say is optimal? So the younger you are, the better the quality of the eggs is. I wouldn't say that you have to start thinking about freezing your eggs in the age of 20s. But however, in early 30s, up to 35 years, when we know the quality of the eggs is still very reasonable, is the right time to get the best out of your egg freezing uh, that you're doing would give you the best results or best insurance, as we say, if you are going ahead with egg freezing. Dr. Arthur, I have so many friends who have asked about egg freezing, so many people who've reached out since we launched the podcast about what the actual process is. So could you just explain to us exactly what happens when you've decided you want to freeze your eggs? What is the process? To begin with, first thing we want to know is your ovarian status, what your ovarian reserve is, because everyone is an individual. Every woman has got different ovarian reserve and that's why it's it's a very individualized approach that is at least done by me or most of our clinicians or most of the fertility specialists. So you go ahead, we go ahead and do your ovarian reserve assessment by doing an ultrasound scan in which we look at your ovaries and we count the number of follicles, the antral follicles, the little follicles that are sent out every month you get a batch of follicles that come out. So we count those follicles and also alongside it, we do a blood test, which tests the anti-malarian hormone, which is directly produced by the ovary and also gives us indication of the reserve of the female fertility status. Once we have that information, and I would say whether you're thinking of doing egg freezing or not, whether you're in a relationship or not, Wherever in your life you are is just a very useful thing to know about yourself. Just come out there and know about yourself. You don't have to take any other step. Just come out, get a blood test done, get a scan done. You will know that, you you know, you feel really good that you found it out. Mm. You might be in a position that, you know, a year or two might not matter at all. Or you might be in a position where... The sooner you do, the better it is for you just to have that information. I think for many, it probably takes the pressure off a little bit and they feel the pressure about the age. I think age is such a huge concern for women and they automatically think, you know, when they hit 30 plus that it's all going to go downhill. But as you said before, around that time is a great time to start thinking about it. For many women, as you've said already, career is an important part of their lives and, and they don't want to feel the pressure to start a family straight away. So by looking at or thinking about freezing your eggs is something that a lot of my friends and a lot of people I know are seriously considering. I think one of the most heartbreaking things is when you meet somebody who is really well established, doing very well in their career, done exceptionally well in life career-wise, and they're shocked. They get to their mid-30s, early 40s, and they're shocked that the opportunity to actually have a baby with their own eggs has gone Mm. or is going. And I think if we can eradicate that problem by use of egg freezing and just inform I just I just don't want for 10 20 years down the line for women to still be shocked and still be thinking oh why didn't we know this and we could have frozen our eggs because they can freeze their eggs exactly so the awareness is the biggest problem at the moment even though we are in a very 
developed country or around the world, there's there's a lot that we are trying to do and there's lots of progress in the field. However, still we see, I see women who were not aware, as you rightly said, they could be in their 40s or very late 30s and they have very diminished aware and reserve, not aware that they had that option at mm-hmm. some point in time to freeze their eggs or they thought they will meet the Mr. Right at some point you know, delayed it and delayed it and, and, and said, okay, I will do it later. I will do it later. I'm, this is more important. That is more important. I mean, I have to say at, at 30, I know I've touched on this before. I had no fertility awareness. I didn't even understand half of what was going on down there. But we talk about empowering each other as women and we need to be more empowered. The best way we can be empowered is by knowing what our reproductive system yeah, does. Exactly. I mean, and knowledge, making our choices. Knowledge is power, isn't it? Absolutely. To just not know, I think we need to eradicate that completely. Mm. It's like, you know, I'm going to compare it maybe to smoking or drinking. If you know the harm of it and you choose to do it, at least you've known the harm. But if you don't know that doing something like egg freezing can mean to you not being a parent, that's not being very empowered. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back. You've done this test, done the internal scan, and you've done a couple of blood tests as well. Just to assess the verin reserve. Um, Based on that reserve, then we get the insight of what kind of medication, dosage, what protocol will be the most appropriate for yourself, um, for an individual. The process itself, I think it's a build-up to it that everybody has in their mind. The process can be very straightforward, especially if you are in a clinic where the monitoring is is done well, as we do in our clinic, or I would say, you know, as it should be done. But once we have the Verenza, we do the protocol for you. You just make one more visit to see the nurse who would go through the whole treatment protocol with you. Do the basic virology blood test, which is a screening blood test for anything that needs um, laboratory storage, needs the screening test, which is the mandatory test. Once you've had the nurse consultation and blood test done, the nurse tells you all the injections that you need to do. Mm. It sounds terrible or horrible. (laughs) It's horrifying to think that you need to inject yourself. Every young woman who has come to me, they they are terrified. I've been there. I've been there. (laughs) The biggest thing is, am I really going to put a needle in myself? Yeah. Trust me, it's not that bad. Yeah, you can, no, you no. can tell that, Danny County. I totally agree. I mean, the first couple of goes were a little stressful, I'm not going to lie. And I definitely had to get my husband to help me. But then, you know, after many injections down, I'm, I have to say I'm a seasoned pro. I did a morning and evening injection. I know that everyone's unique, so every protocol is different. So you would normally start with one injection in the evening. Let's go back. So you've done seen the nurse, you've done your injection teach, you've had all your medication delivered at home. Don't forget the paperwork. No, Don't forget the felt. paperwork. It's a sign on the paperwork. <laughs> that's, that's the nurse talking here. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and trust me, if you have a nurse like Simone, it, they just make it so easy they do Uh, they do (laughs) Uh, and then you get your period you start your period and you have your baseline scan that's what we called uh, uh, initial the first scan which is done in the first two days or three days of your period once we've checked your ovaries on that baseline scan we know there are no cysts that's when you start your injections you do injection every evening Roughly around a similar time, so you can come back from work, you can do your injection nice and in comfort of your home. First few days is just one injection. Usually, again, as you rightly said, Danny, that there are different protocols for different people, depending on your wear and reserve. Usually after four or five days, you start doing a morning injection as well. 
So the morning injection is to prevent natural ovulation. Right. And the evening injection is to stimulate your ovaries to produce to or, or to for those follicles to respond to them so that we can get the maximum out. To just give you a little bit of idea of what happens naturally. Naturally, as I said, every cycle you get a few follicles recruited per month. So let's say you've got 10 follicles on one side and, and 10 little follicles on the other side. Naturally, you have only one of them per cycle. One of the ovaries will do that, which gets selected. And that's the, the natural selection process of the body. And that one follicle will slowly become bigger in size and it cooks the egg inside it. So follicle is a little structure that contains the egg. Now the egg is cooking inside it. So it's as a, think about you're baking a cake. <laughs> it needs to be baked for a certain time period for it to be cooked I properly. Like a very important cake. <laughs> <laughs> and the same way, the follicle needs to grow at a certain pace for the egg to be cooked inside it well and become nice and mature before it ovulates. And then when the follicle is ready, it will rupture and release that egg. And that's the natural process of ovulation. And when you ovulate, if, the, if it meets the sperm, you're pregnant. If not, it disintegrates. Whether it is IVF or egg freezing, we want the 10 and the 10 follicles on each side, which is 20 in total, all of them to start growing. And therefore, we give the injections of FSH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone, which is produced naturally by our brain, which in the natural cycle makes the follicle grow. We are now giving it from outside which is going to then stimulate all these follicles to grow. And so that we can get the maximum out of that cycle. And remember, we are not diminishing your fertility reserve. We are not using anything that you could have used in future. This is the lot of follicles that's only for this cycle. Whether you use one out of it or whether you use all 20 out of it. That's They're a good. really wow. key yeah. point. That, I think that comes up so often. That's what you would have anyway. So you have the one dominant one that runs away normally. But this time it's just getting everything that's there and trying to make them all useful for that month. That's right. People often get their fertility assessed. So they do their AMH, they have their scan and their andro follicles are counted. But what I really want to ask you is how long can you feel comfortable that that's your status? So if you did that in November, how long should you think, OK, so I've got an AMH of 20 and I had an andro follicle count of 10. How long would that be your status for a year or six months or... I would say yearly uh, a test. If you are not planning to do anything currently, whenever you had it done and you want to postpone it and the current st uh, status is really good and you're advised that you're fine at the moment, you can take your time. At least a yearly test to check your image and antifolk count is very important. But remember, it's not only about the number, it's about the quality yeah, as well. Definitely. So it depends on how old you are mm -hmm. and how much you can postpone. Unfortunately, our age is the time bomb. It's a ticking time bomb. As they say. Harsh as it is. <laughs> it's quite harsh. But it's true. It is true. So it? you've stimulated the patient. Things are growing. Things are moving. What happens next? 
we've started the morning injection we've started the evening injection we call you for scans and blood test now by scans and blood test is how we are making your process well monitored to reduce the risk of any complications and to adjust your dose every time we see you mm. so we do the scan we measure the follicles we feel it's looking really good the dose is optimal for you and you know the progress is as we expect mm. we do a scan in the morning for you and we do the blood test and every afternoon late afternoon we have our meeting where we review your scan and the blood test which is estrogen levels and the LH which is luteinizing hormone depending on your estrogen level depending on the sizes of your follicles depending on what day in your stimulation you are we will advise you whether you continue the same dose whether we want to increase it a little bit we whether we want to decrease it a little bit so that we can make the cycle as smooth as possible and as less complicated for you eventually mm. and to get the best result of course of course and i just wanted to add to manage expectations it is a time commitment as well for someone going through this because you're required mostly every other day to be at the clinic absolutely for those scans for those blood tests it's it's imperative that you are so my one piece of advice is manage your expectations because i definitely went in and i didn't realize how many times i would need to go to the clinic to have the checks you need to choose a clinic that you can access easily that's got to be a huge factor right i found as i was gearing towards my egg collection my stomach was a little tender you know i did feel a little bit off but it wasn't as bad as i thought at all so let's just go back to where you're getting to that point where you're nearing that time mm-hmm. of egg collection now we're coming close to egg collection so we're talking about roughly around day 11 12 of your cycle usually by day 12 um the follicles are ready now you have to understand this you're very right that you will feel a little bit of discomfort at that time again depending on the number of follicles that you've got a number of eggs we're expecting to collect the younger you are the more follicles we expect to see and the more eggs we expect to collect that means ovary which is used to having one follicle growing that's the normal size has got 10 follicles mm. so it's 10 times the size yeah. of your normal ovary So it is taking more space in your pelvis. It definitely is. I had 20 and my stomach was like like a balloon. That's a really good point the way you explained that. Of course, you know, if you're used to having one in there and then you've yeah. got 10 in there which are getting large, of course it's going to hurt. It's going to be slightly uncomfortable. But it's not for long. That's the important point to make. It's a little discomfort and it's completely worth it. Hopefully you're worth it, yeah. Absolutely. By day 12 and we follicles are ready, we ask you to take the trigger injection. Now women who are going for egg freezing or women who we think are at risk of hyperstimulation which is ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. and of all the people i've met who've explained this to me there's been nobody <laughs> at all like you dr upal honestly so we will be addressing that later on in the discussion yeah so as 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 simon said we will address that later but what we do now which is it is a very good breakthrough again um to make the process of egg freezing much more bearable comfortable process for our women is that we use a different trigger minimizes the chances of hyperstimulation post egg collection to 0.1%. Oh wow. So that means hyperstimulation sets in only after egg collection. We've already taken the measure to minimize that discomfort by using a different type of trigger. 
How interesting. So, so are you, you referring to Bucerolin? That's right. Okay. Uh, once we've triggered, it is 36 to 37 hours after that. It is very time specific that we do the egg collection. So usually your trigger will be, say, 9 o'clock at night for a 9 o'clock egg collection 36 hours later. So the next day of the trigger is actually, as I say, it's a break day. You don't do any injections. You don't do anything. You just come for egg collection the day after morning fasting because we do give you sedation. So you should have to be nil by mouth from midnight. Mm. Sedation is a wonderful thing. Oh my goodness. Can I just say how wonderful it was? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think it pretty much was the best part of my treatment. Absolutely. It's like a twilight sedation, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's just amazing. You go in and you're feeling quite nervous. I mean, I think I say nervous, I was a little terrified. Um, and you go in, um, everyone is just lovely, putting you at ease. Um, you get a, um, a cannula for your sedation, your anaesthetic. You go in and then suddenly you just go somewhere else. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> Honestly, it's like the best nap you'll ever have. And I found going in, um, A, I mean, obviously I can't remember it. All I remember is coming round, having a cup of tea and a biscuit brought to me, which was delightful. Honestly, I would not know anything had happened. I didn't feel anything. I had no bleeding post. There was absolutely nothing. I even thought, has this even happened? Why don't you explain what you actually do in a collection? So what we do, we take you, as you've said, inside. And once you were in your lovely world of sedation. <laughs> um, <So> lovely. Um, <laughs> Just to clarify, this is definitely not a general anesthesia. It's just a little light sedation to make you feel comfortable and you would not feel any pain. We then introduce ultrasound probes. So it's all done under ultrasound guidance. Very Same probe that you have your scan with. We just attach a very fine needle on the top of it, go into the vagina and through the vaginal wall, we reach the ovaries. And one by one, we go from one follicle to another and we aspirate the follicles. Now, remember I told you, follicle is the structure. It's a fluid-filled structure that contains the egg. Egg is microscopic, so we don't see the egg. We go into the follicle and aspirate it. All the fluid comes out, and that fluid is then given to the embryologist, who under a very nice, powerful microscope, look for the egg and keep the egg aside. We have to make sure, and in this whole procedure, the temperatures are maintained very well the temperature, the pH, the everything, because egg is a single cell and is very, very sensitive. It's not meant to be outside the body. So we have to create similar sort of environment for that egg outside the body. So they are in the media, which has got the similar sort of things and maintain the temperature. Once the embryologists get the egg, they update us to say, we've caught this many eggs. Let's say we were talking about 10 and 10 follicles. Let's say we've got 20 follicles we might get 16, 17 eggs out of that. Remember, not all follicles will give us an egg. Remember, all the eggs that we will get may not be appropriate for freezing. So then embryologists strip the egg to see if it is mature and only the mature eggs are frozen. So let's say if you've collected 16 eggs, we might be able to freeze 13, 14 depending on how the stimulation went. And that would be fantastic. Amazing. That would be a, and a, that's a really, really good number. numbers. And so how long does the actual process take? How long are they in theatre for? 20 minutes wow. to 30 minutes. It's overall, everything is done. 
you're wheeled out of theatre and you're literally awake by the time you're wheeled out, as you're saying. <laughs> you come up and you get a cup of tea and biscuits in your hand and it's all done. Amazing. It really is. It really you, is. Just, you mentioned it. Obviously, it's a very delicate environment that you're in. And just so people are aware is that you go in by yourself. You can't take your partner or anyone into theatre by yourself because it's such a delicate environment. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. So when people talk about theatre, it is a very serious place to be Mm. in that everybody has their specific roles. And ultimately, the patient is the most important person in that situation. Everybody needs to be able to do their job clearly without any interference is that fair enough yes and it's a sterile area and fragile and and so there's a lot of effort also that goes into keeping that theatre air really pure and clear of pathogens and so that's taken very seriously Mm. you'll always be asked not to wear perfume we keep the air very very clear because those eggs and the sperm any gametes will be in that air so we want to keep it as optimal as possible yeah and so what about post egg collection what do you recommend bed rest what should they be doing straight away so post egg collection you are still kept in post-op in the recovery area for at least hour hour and a half to make sure there is no internal bleeding you're not bleeding per vagina, you know, after the egg collection. You've recovered well, your blood pressure is maintained, all your stats are maintained, and you've come out of the sedation that's been given to you, and obviously you've passed urine as well. Because when we are putting the needle in, there is bowel and bladder all in the pelvis. It's very easily can be injured. However, the chances are one in 2,000, 2,500, so very, very rare. But there is a chance. There's always a chance. So we have to make sure when we are discharging you from the clinic, you are absolutely fine, recovered and well. So passing urine, once you've done that, we still tell you not to drive. Again, because you've had sedation, you will still feel a bit bit woozy. That means not going back to work. (laughs) So you need to be at home. Yeah. Take it easy, watch lots of movies, you know. Good um, old Netflix. Cozy, <laughs> yeah, use your Netflix. Absolutely. It's not often that people tell you, go home, relax. No, Sit on your bed it's and fine. watch TV. Yeah. When does that happen? So, Never. So just for that day. Relishing in it. Just for that day. And then next day onwards, you are absolutely fine to do your normal day-to-day activity. Now, one important thing I, I would always say is not to exercise. Not to exercise while you were in stimulation. And even post-op, post-egg collection, till you've had your period, which you are expecting to get in a week to 10 days after egg collection. Once you've had your period, your ovary is pretty much back to normal or or pretty much back to normal. Okay, Dr. Upal, this is a really key point again. Um, And the reason being people have different points of view regarding that. So please, can you tell us why you believe or you practice telling people not to exercise at that point? When we are doing ovarian stimulation, again, remember, ovaries used to having one follicle and you have got multiple times of that number of follicles. An ovary is just sitting in our pelvis on a little pedicle. So you can think a bunch of grapes hanging through a little stem. And these little grapes are all the follicles. Now, this has become much heavier than what it normally is and can twist. And this little pedicle on which it's hanging has got all the blood flow to the ovary. If this ovary twists, which can happen in any increased pressure to on pelvis, any exercises, you know, if you're running, you're doing treadmilling or you're lifting heavy weight. And if this twists, 
then that means the blood supply to the ovary is obscured. The ovary starts dying. Oh, my God. And that means you will have excruciating oh, pain. Yeah. And if you are not attended in time and if you, there's lots of time you would think, oh, maybe this is something else. Oh, maybe it's gas. Oh, maybe I should wait for another half an hour. I don't know. Should I be going or not going to the hospital? And how long will you have to wait in A&E? You don't know how long. <laughs> exactly. So, and if that blood flow dies, then your whole ovary will die. So I think it's really important here also to stress that after your egg collection, you may think that your ovary is no longer the size that it was because you've just had your follicles aspirated. However, these follicles do fill up again afterwards. Absolutely. So your body still has the stimulation in them. So typically, if a person, the eggs wouldn't be any good, by the way, that's another point. But typically, if a person were to be scanned a week after egg collection, you would see an enlarged ovary and enlarged follicles. So therefore, that risk of exercise and contortion still exists, right? Yes, yes. The follicles do tend to fill up with fluid. There's no egg at that point. So ovary size is still enlarged and the risk of torsion is still there. So it's not worth taking the risk. You don't want to lose ovary. No. So take it, take it easy. Yeah. Take message. It easy. <laughs> when you would you walk. say it's safe? You can walk for, and walking is actually recommended because you do want the blood flow, the blood flow and everything. Yeah. yeah. With high levels of estrogen, hydration, walking, all that is absolutely fine. Just don't do any heavy exercises. That's it. So when we talk, we're talking about egg freezing at the moment. Mm-hmm. In egg freezing, once your eggs are collected, they go to lab and And what we didn't talk about is the latest technique of vitrification, which has actually revolutionized the whole egg freezing situation or scenario, because earlier we were doing slow freezing and the results of slow freezing and thawing were not that great. However, vitrification, which is fast freezing. It's like a snap freeze, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's giving us wonderful results. And therefore, now we're in a position to recommend this or to without any fear say you know if you are freezing your eggs it is a good thing and it is going to be good for your future if you once you've had egg collected they're frozen nice and safe in the lab then you expect to get your period in a week to 10 days usually week is more likely once you get your period body is so clever clocks back it resets your ovaries are almost back to normal And you're back to your normal life. So another important thing, do not have unprotected sexual intercourse when we're thinking about egg freeze or when we're in stimulation for egg freezing or even post egg collection. There is a possibility there could be an egg that's released. It's down there and the power is taken by the tubes. If you do end up having intercourse, there is a chance you can fall pregnant. You touched on the future. You've frozen your eggs and the guidelines today say that they are eligible to be frozen for 10 years. Is that right? That's right. And then come 10 years, what happens? You can't use them. So they need to be destroyed. Destroyed. Wow. Which is very unfortunate. And I think there's already been um, commotion about that. Yeah. And there's already been issues raised. And there are a group of people, clinicians, uh, researchers, all trying to increase that limit from 10 years because it doesn't sound fair. 
if you are in your 20s, if you are 27, 28, which is a very good time if you want to think about it and if you are proactive, that doesn't mean that you have to use it by 38. The whole point of having this is for you to have an option in future. I think we need to change that. There seems to be no good reason, actually, Mm. especially as you just said, we're encouraging women when their egg reserve is still good, late 20s, early 30s. That just takes you up to potentially early 40s. We meet lots of women coming into the clinic for the first time in their early 40s wanting to get pregnant. It it doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't. There is a petition going around, I do believe. So people should find that online. and We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, just sign up. I think when they get 10,000 signatures, they can then debate it in the Houses of Parliament. I think it's well on its way, yeah. And also, when anyone is allowed to have a transfer, eligible for having a transfer up to their 50th birthday, most of the clinics in UK abide by that, and they can use frozen eggs which are donated by someone else, why can't you use your own frozen eggs? Yeah. Yeah. How does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, It does not make sense at all, does it? I think it just needs revisiting. I think it just, it hasn't been... Well, it's very archaic, isn't it? It is very archaic. But yeah, I'm hopeful... Hopefully, I think, yeah, I think yeah, I'm, I'm quite hopeful yeah, yeah. about that as well. We've yeah. got to keep the faith, Simone. We have to keep as the faith. As always, <laughs> we have to. We have to. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, what are and if there are any complications with egg freezing? Yes, any medical procedure, any surgical procedure does have complications. So they can be far and few, but there are some there. So to begin with, we would say because we're doing a minor surgical procedure, So there are chances, as I previously mentioned, that we could have an injury to the bowel or the bladder or bladder, which are all there in the pelvic region. And we are using a a fine needle. We can't we can go into or injure the bowel or the bladder. Even if that does happen, we usually withdraw the needle. Nothing is done. There is no serious injury. I haven't come across yet. Touch wood. But however, very, very rare. And if it does happen, we draw the needle and nothing usually happens. Very, very rarely, or we'll give you antibiotic cover, or very rarely, we'll have to transfer you to the hospital to, to get looked at. Another thing is infection. Again, theatres, as we discussed, theatres are very sterile areas. We try to minimise infection. We are very strong, very particular with everything. And we also give you antibiotic cover during the procedure in the theatre. And that's in the form of my favourite, the pessary. (laughs) Uh, We give you a pessary as well as we give you uh, IV as well because you already have a cannula. So a single dose of that will just do do the job. (laughs) And we give you the pessary. of Oh, uh, those pessaries. (laughs) The pain of my life. (laughs) And last but not least is ovarian hyperstimulation. So what we're doing is a controlled stimulation of the ovary. But depending on the number of follicles that are growing, what your ovarian reserve is, so the higher the ovarian reserve is, the more likely that you're going to have some sort of hyperstimulation. A mild hyperstimulation is very, very common. What we mean by hyperstimulation, if I have to tell you in a very layman's word, ovaries are really large because, again, lots of follicles and lots of eggs, hence. So that's a good thing in terms of your freezing eggs. We have already uh, discussed about the different trigger injection that we use if we think that you are at risk of hyperstimulation. As a result of the trigger injection, which is the normal trigger, other trigger that we use, which is HCG, which is the pregnancy hormone as well. 
that once we've collected the eggs, all the eggshells that are there, lots of high levels of estrogen because of high number of follicles. And that makes in a very easy word, the blood vessels are called as leaky blood vessels. So by leaky means the fluid starts coming out of the blood vessels and starts collecting in your tummy. So you start feeling bloated. And remember, all this happens only after egg collection, only when we've used the HCG trigger. If we use the other trigger, which is the agonist trigger, this does not happen. This water is now collecting in your tummy. It can make your blood thicker and water collection in the tummy makes you uncomfortable. And can, depending on how much water is collected and if it is more due to, to severe hyperstimulation, it can press on your diaphragm, making it difficult to breathe. Sometimes water do go get, can collect in uh, lungs as well. And this thick blood in the blood vessels can cause a blood clot as well, mm. which is what is then dangerous. Yeah. And therefore, maximum effort is made, and there is no direct cure of it. So maximum effort is made to prevent it by doing more monitoring, which can be a pain for people to come as they, you know, there are a few visits to the clinic. However, this is the reason why it's done. Adjusting the dose, monitoring bloods, monitoring scans, using a different trigger. Lots of things that we are doing to minimise mm. this kind of complication. If you feel lower abdominal pain or discomfort, that's quite normal. Just rest, paracetamol. If that pain starts to radiate anywhere else, then you need to get help. Um, so the pain shouldn't be radiating to any other part of your body, especially not up your mm. torso at all. And if it does, you need to get help. What is really important for people to know is how many eggs should they be hoping to freeze? So the number of eggs is of a million dollar question and there is no correct answer for it, I would say. However, again, we're talking about the age group, which is below 35. You should have roughly around 25 to 30 eggs frozen, depending on your ovarian reserve and depending on the age you do it. Again, the younger you are, the more eggs you can collect in one cycle, the better the quality is. So if you are somebody who's got a very good ovarian reserve, you might get 25 frozen, maybe in one cycle, maybe in two cycles. The, the older you get, the more the number of cycles you will have to do to achieve that number. Okay, that's excellent advice. And obviously we know that with age as well, it's that age again, the quality of your egg diminishes also. So even if you get those numbers, if you're that bit older, you may not have the quality there. Absolutely. Oh, it's distressing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> What's your wear and reserve? That'll depend how many, how many eggs you will get and how many cycles in turn you will need to do. Gosh, I have learned a lot today, Simone. I don't know about you. I definitely have. Dr. Upal, it's always an absolute pleasure. I think you've given us some really key information um, and I'm sure everybody's going to learn a lot by listening to the podcast. So thank you. Thank you oh. so much. It's been a pleasure and I hope more and more people get benefited out of this. You girls are doing very well. Well done. Oh, thank, you. thank you. Mid to late 20s early 30s you haven't met the man of your dreams and you are able to egg freeze why wouldn't you yeah it's do you know what it's i just think it's a great insurance policy it just takes a little bit of the pressure off yeah and that can only be a good thing yeah if you want to know more about some of the things we've been talking about have a look at our show notes for further information and support do you get in touch with us on instagram at the mission baby podcast or on email the mission baby podcast at gmail.com keep the faith keep the faith <laughs>